This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. Another edition of No Stop Lights. I want to thank our sponsors. None of this is possible without Mickey Fins, Marlboro Pity Electric, Carolina Bank, Pepsi of um, Florence. We're, we're, we're known worldwide and across the fruited plains as being the expert on American politics. I mean, if we have an opinion, it normally shapes public opinion. I mean, we, we consider ourselves to be that influential in shaping or help shape uh, the American discourse. I guess what I'm arguing is you've got Jeffersonian, Hamiltonian, and no stoplights. Is this three of the um, the unique political forces that have helped forge and shape a nation? Um, not that we think a lot of ourselves, but we just um, we <laughs> in, in in the most humble way imaginable. We uh, we include ourselves in that in that very um, is that a tripoli? Yeah, I guess it's um, it would be a tripoli. Uh, we want to get off the beaten path for a second and talk about something far more important to the prosperity and peace in America, and that is the beginning of college football season. Um, I mean, full disclosure, the reason we named the podcast No Stoplights is I am a college dropout from a town with no stoplight. That town happens to be located in rural South Carolina. Um, 1992, the state of South Carolina and the flagship university was invited to join the Southeastern Conference. Um, probably one of the most consequential days or important days in the history of the University of South Carolina. Um, for those not familiar with the Palmetto State, there, there's kind of a two-headed monster that dominates. Talked about Jeffersonian, Hamiltonian. Uh, there's a two-headed monster that dominates college athletics in our state. Uh, one is the University of South Carolina Gamecocks. The other the Clemson Tigers um, both have long-standing histories. Both have rabid fan bases. One has enjoyed a great deal more success on the gridiron um, than the other. But we all know how important women's basketball is. So there, take that from a Gamecock homer. I make no bones about it. I mean, even in my in my political days, I didn't straddle the fence. I, I, I took a lesson from Rudy Giuliani. When Giuliani was mayor of New York City, he attended Yankee games wearing a New York Yankees baseball cap. And he felt it unfair to try and pull one over on the voters of New York City by professing to be a fan of both. I mean, he felt that the public would appreciate and respect um, him for being honest. Grew up a Yankee fan, not pulling against the Mets, and, and, and you know, would always do things to help I think in the old days, Shea Stadium is where the Mets may have played. Um, and as a Braves fan, the Mets and Braves have had kind of a longstanding rivalry. The famous chant at Shea Stadium, Larry. I mean, you remember Larry, Larry. I mean, that would be Chipper Jones, kind of the um, the 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 resident Met antagonist. I mean, he always got the best of the Mets. Um, but anyway, uh, college football is a big deal in the South. It's a big deal in the state of South Carolina. And South Carolina is unique in that it has, you got Venn diagrams. You folks know what that is, the circle, and you got overlap. Um, Auburn and Alabama are both in the SEC. Um, Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. I guess Kentucky. Yeah, Louisville is in the ACC. Kentucky is in, excuse me, yeah, Kentucky is in the, in the SEC. So, so there, there's, a, there, there's three states out there that have um, a prominent team in one conference 
and a prominent team uh, in, in the other conference. Conference realignment, we're not going there today, but we are going to this um, kind of new reality of college football and, and why it's interesting to us this time, this time of the year. Um, in the state of South Carolina, once again, rabid fan base, big followings, one program has historically had more success than the other, but but the the program that has been inferior over the long run probably has a a leg up when it comes to conference affiliation. I mean, there's more money in the SEC. The TV contracts are bigger. That there's a big debate in America today about the next ten years of college athletics. Could it create less parity by the Big Ten and the SEC kind of separating themselves from? The rest of college athletics is not good. There's a reason the NFL has thrived and prospered is parity. I mean, you know, a lot of teams go into the preseason believing they have a chance to compete for a championship. I think the one thing the NFL's done is understand it's in the entertainment business. I, I, you know, I once said, and I'll stand by this comment, there's no way you can pay Aaron Rodgers $25 million a year to throw a football. But you can pay him $25 million a year to entertain people. I mean, there's an entertainment value associated with television and fantasy and gambling and, and all these others. Well, well, college football pales to the NFL. I mean, the NFL is the 800-pound gorilla. I mean, it's a monster unlike any in organized sport. But college football is not niche. I mean, it's not – I've argued historically that it's, it's unique for hockey to succeed down south. I mean, it's not exclusive to the north. You've got some franchises that do okay, but the majority of Southerners just aren't that interested in hockey. The majority of Northerners aren't that interested in NASCAR. It doesn't make NASCAR incidental. It doesn't make hockey incidental. They've just got these these these, these geographic followings that are more loyal and tense. I didn't say there's no NASCAR fans up north, and I damn sure didn't say there's no hockey fans down south, but there are that they're, they're somewhat niche and and I think college football is a little like that. I mean, it's not, it's not very popular in some of the major metropolitan areas. Some of those are pro sports towns. They have loyal generational followings of the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And, um, you know, the, the, I'll give you an example. The Miami Hurricanes at one time were the best college football program in America, but they didn't have a great following. Why? Because they got the Miami Dolphins, um, you know so, some of the um, some of the sports franchise college teams up north. I mean, they run into the Eagles and you know the Steelers and uh, the Patriots and the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals and you know those those towns and areas are enamored with with that professional sports franchise. But something happened several years ago that led college football down a very distinct Dan. And, and, and I guess controversial path, and that is the Ed O'Bannon EA Sports lawsuit that allowed student athletes, laugh out loud, um, student athletes, um, okay, uh, that allowed student athletes to financially gain from their name, image, and likeness. And out of that came what we refer to in, in kind of SEC country, and then Clemson. I mean, I'm considering Clemson kind of an SEC school in the in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, the ability to lure players and keep players by giving them financial contracts. Now, now, we believe, well, let me back up. I can't speak for everybody. 
I believe the really good programs have always paid players. They just used a, a lot of different avenues to do it. Um, I'll give an example. In the Deep South, it's always known that the church helped people. There, there's a despondent family. There, there's a desperate family. There's a family who has financial issues. And the church would go help that family. Well, the family happened to have a kid who was 6'2", 225, and run like the wind. And that kid happened to end up at Alabama or Auburn or LSU or Florida or Georgia or South Carolina. <laughs> I know a couple of stories, uh, you know, on the up and up that created advantages for my for my dear game. So we've always believed that the student athlete was getting something, um, not being totally exploited for his talent. But, but the NIL was a revelation that I think was necessary. Now, did it change the equation? Of course it did. I mean, you got kids now um, driving G-model Mercedes. You know, you got a, a starting quarterback at an SEC school making, you know, more than any administrator at the university. Why? Because they think he's worth it. But the free market says that's what this kid is worth. My theory is if the NCAA had not, and I want to be provocative because I, I, you know, I intend to be provocative. I want to say something a bit controversial because I think it needs to be said. I think the NCAA was the last operational plantation model. I mean, I, I really believe that. And, and I sincere, and I say that to be provocative. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I could have gone without saying it, but it's not as big. Man, just said, I mean, NCAA's a, a kind of a plantation. Well, I mean, in essence, it was. You had all these people getting unbelievably wealthy off the backs of laborers, performers who were not being compensated. Well, I mean, they're getting a college scholarship. The, college, the value of the college scholarship is probably commiserate to what they're worth if the coach is making a million dollars a year, and the assistants are making two hundred thousand, and the AD's making three hundred, and the president's making five hundred. But all of a sudden, the the head football coach is making eight million, nine million, ten million. The assistants are making one million, two million, two and a half million, maybe three million. I think I read where one coach, one assistant coach in America is making about three million dollars a year after you figure his bonuses. Maybe worth it, may not be worth it, but you can't justify billion-dollar television contracts, $10 million a year coaching contracts, multi-million-dollar assistant coaching contracts, million-dollar um, yearly AD salaries, and suggest with any straight face that the kids' you know, education is payment enough. I mean, that's just not the case. And I believe, and, and to some degree, are kind of happy that the NCAA is squirming because the NCAA – refused to give an inch. There, there are several stories out there. I'll give you one unique uh, to my favorite team. It's been told to me by a reliable source that the University of South Carolina was investigated not for buying a kid on a recruiting trip a bagel. They were allowed to do that, but they provided sour cream to go on top of the bagel, and that was a recruiting violation per the NCAA edict and order. So, so the NCAA executive committee decided that it's okay to buy a kid a bagel when he comes on a recruiting trip, but don't you buy him that sour cream. I mean, that's a recruiting violation, and you better self-report because if you don't self-report, we'll send investigators down there, and you don't want NCAA investigators knocking on your door, looking in your book, seeing what you may or may not have done. So I am a bit gleeful 
that the kid is being allowed to experience compensation for the service they're providing to the university, the conference, and the sport that is that is college football. Is it out of control? Yes. Is it the wild, wild west? Yes. Why? Because when, when a group of people have no leverage and then they have enormous leverage, guess what usually happens? They abuse that enormous leverage. That They've had no leverage in the equation. Um, shut up and play ball and go to class every now and then. I mean, that's, that's the, I mean, that, that's the, that's, that's why you exist. I mean, you exist to go to class every now and then. Um, we'll get you some tutoring. We'll keep you great at a 2.0. So you stay eligible, but don't you dare not perform on Saturdays. And, and once again, the NCAA in its infinite wisdom decided to not give an inch to not budge. Don't you put sour cream on that bagel. And Ed O'Bannon, uh, a basketball player at UCLA, challenged uh, the NCAA and won in a court decision that has changed college athletics forever. For the good, I don't know. But it's damn sure for the different. And you've got the NCAA scrambling. You've got these conferences scrambling. You've got um, universities afraid that a percentage of their giving is going to go fund NILs, collectives, so they can be competitive with these with these schools. Um, and, and I don't know what a college quarterback's worth. I don't have any idea what, you know, the quarterback at the University of Alabama should be paid or not paid, what the running back at Clemson should be paid or not paid. But I do know this. In a world where head coaches were making $10 million, assistant coaches were making $2.5 million, athletic directors, with all due respect, making a million, presidents making a million, television contracts with the SEC and Big Ten exceed $1 billion. That's with a B. That's a thousand million that member institutions are separate, or excuse me, dividing amongst themselves. It was hard to look a kid in the face and say, but you're getting that education. I mean, I hope every kid gets that education. I take, I hope they take that educational opportunity very seriously. But, but the only reason we're in the wild, wild west of college football is the NCAA wanted to be the last plantation model in, in America. And I, do I like where we are? No. Do I hate where we are? No. Do I think that there is going to be some negotiation? Uh, once again, no leverage, all the leverage in the world. Uh, he makes the value of a college education. Starting quarterbacks making $2 million before they ever throw a pass on a college campus. That makes no sense. But but it makes equally no sense for a kid to not be paid anything at all. And I know they got stipends and some coaches supported that and some um, didn't support that. But the game of college football is in flux. I've got a theory. And I've got a solution, I think. Um, and it's, it's just a work in progress. And it'll take a while um, to get there. But I believe that if we allow the, and, and once again, I sound like a socialist and a redistributionist when I say this, but, but the NFL allows the worst team to draft first. But I mean, they believe for the good of the sport, the more teams that have a chance to compete for championships, the better the sport is. So if the, if the Atlanta Falcons have the worst record, they get to draft first in the name of parity, in the name of entertainment in the name of inclusiveness, in the name of equity, in the name of equality, all these things I despise in politics, I tend to gravitate toward in my, in my fandom of college athletics. But, but I, I believe, 
I mean, if, if we if we allow it to be all about money, and in the current construct, I mean, if if um if if son of parent in Florida State believe their kids worth a million dollars and Texas willing to give them two million, I mean, he may go to Texas. So we, you know, I do, I am concerned about the haves and have nots. But but I believe that we need to construct a model based on the NFL slots. In other words, if you are I mean, if the NFL projects you to be the 54th player in the draft, and I'll just make up a number. Let's say the 54th player in the draft gets paid a million dollars. The university can pay you 25% of that slot fee. So when Clemson or South Carolina sit down with a kid and negotiate an NIL after he proves his worth as a freshman and he proves he can play at this level and and you say, okay, the NFL um, draft, score, draft score has you as the 54th best player. If you go to the NFL, you're going to get a million dollars. We can give you 25% of that, and that's $250,000. And that's what our offer is. Offer may be less than that, but it can't exceed 25% of that slot fee because what you'll have is you'll have a, a kid that's really, really good and – you know, you've got the halves. You've got, I mean, the Gamecocks and Tigers both are halves. They're not extreme examples of the halves. They can't get in a bidding war with Texas, Texas A&M, Southern California, uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame. I mean, those schools without bid, you know, they got large alumni that have done extremely well in business. Here's the interesting part of NIL. You can throw your curveball, and then I'll get out of here. Here's the interesting part of NIL. What if Harvard decided to be good in football? I mean, they've got a multi-billion dollar foundation. Harvard has more billionaires that graduated from there. What if the Ivy League, I mean, how many, how many CEOs or how many business owners, how many executives at major American corporations have the ability to give? I mean, the Carolina, South Carolina Clemson, I mean, you know, South Carolina still is not a wealthy state. I mean, it's a rabid state. They're intensely loyal to their teams, Alabama and Auburn. Examples of that. A&M and Texas are different because out come the ground, come a bubbling crude. Uh, oil changed the game there. That's a Beverly Hillbillies reference for all you um, non-generationally associated. Um, but what if the Ivy League decided it wanted to be good at football? And, and you've got a five-star that signed with Alabama. <laughs> and under the current construct, um, Harvard could start an NIL. And Harvard could raise, I mean, they got multiple billions. I think they got like... $30 billion in an endowment. Now, you can't transfer the endowment to, to the NIL, but if they've got enough to give $30 billion to an endowment, certainly they could fund an NIL. And all of a sudden, Harvard and Yale come down to Tuscaloosa, Columbia, Clemson, and say, we like that five-star running back you've got. I mean, that, that would be the most unique difference in college football today if the Ivy League, and, and here's the old saying, um, the Ivy League builds libraries. The SEC builds upper decks. <laughs> you know, you see where the priorities of the two conferences lie. But what if the Ivy League, what if Yale and Harvard, with those enormous endowments and that ability to raise money and the unbelievable affluent alumni they have, what if they decided, hey, we're going to get in the business of college football and we're going to down to Tuscaloosa and we're going to poach by whatever it costs, doesn't matter. I mean, here's a blank check. Go get that running back from Alabama. Go get that quarterback from Texas. 
go get that offensive lineman from Southern California. And the next thing you know, Harvard has a payroll of $20, 25000000 million. I mean, what is it to the alumni of Harvard? And, and I think all of these hypotheticals make college football so interesting. And and I think we can thank the NCAA for its in, its, 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 its consistency in being inconsistent. But the one thing the NCAA has been consistent in is being inconsistent. And had they given a little bit, I mean, you know, they fought tooth and nail for the stopping. I don't know that they've laxed up on that sour cream, um, you know, yet. But but maybe they'll come around at some point in time. But uh, but the reason college football is in such turmoil, it's not the players. It's not the fans. I mean, the fans are going to be victimized by this because they're going to be asked to give even more money to be competitive at a high level. It's the NCAA. And, and their unwillingness to give an inch. And I'm going to tell you, I've learned the hard way in my life. If you don't give an inch, sooner or later, you may be forced to give a mile. <laughs>